Welcome, everybody, to the Archdiocese of Louisville podcast series, What's New in Arch Lou. I'm Brian Reynolds, the Chancellor of the Archdiocese, your host for the show. This program is designed to help introduce the people and events that make up the Archdiocese of Louisville, and we encourage you to join us each month as we welcome new guests and discuss what's taking place and invite you to get more involved in the Church of Central Kentucky. This program is brought to you by the Archlou Podcast Network. And today, we got a special treat for us. We have a, a great guest, Dr. Karen Shadle, who's the director of the Office of Worship. Dr. Shadle is a native of Louisville, and Karen has been with us since 2016, uh, having previously worked in campus ministry at Bellarmine University. Karen and her husband, Doug, have two children and are members of St. Raphael's Parish. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. That's terrific. Tell us a little bit more about it. Introduce yourself, for, particularly for the folks who don't know you. Yeah. Um, so uh, you mentioned my family is very important to me. Um, you know, and I've been, I was raised Catholic. Um, and I think like a lot of people, there were, there were periods where I was more or less connected to my faith. But um, something you didn't uh, mention about me is that really music has been my way into the church. So I've, I've been a musician my whole life. And um, I think that's really how I got most connected to the Catholic faith. Um, it's how I fell in love with the church and with the liturgy. And, um, you know, I feel like the arts and the sights and the sounds of, of the, the liturgy have always been something that's helped me connect um, to God personally. And, you know, it, it, working in the office of worship, um, I feel like we're always sort of chasing that high, you know, get, getting to that place where we are sort of simulating heaven here on earth uh, with our, our beautiful music and art. And so um, that has always been my interest in my faith. I've been, like you mentioned, uh, with the Office of Worship for almost seven years now. And besides planning the liturgies that we do, that's a major function of our office is planning the liturgies where the Archbishop presides. But uh, in addition to that, I really just love thinking about and writing about um, and talking about uh, the liturgy and the church and how it's changing and how leadership in the church is changing and what we're going to be doing in the next generation of Catholics. That that fascinates me and excites me. So uh, that's why I'm here. That, that's great. You know, uh, uh, we don't have to do a, a resume, but it's important to let people know that you are quite in a academic background too with a Correct. doctorate in music, right? Yes. So I, I came to I, I came in a circuitous route. So I'm, a, I'm an academic. I have a PhD in musicology. So music history is my background. And one of the first things you learn as a musicologist is how um, important the Catholic Church is to the history of music. A lot of people uh, sometimes tease me. I don't have a degree in liturgy, but I say that a degree in music is basically the same. The history of the church and the history of music are basically the same up until about the Renaissance because everything we know about music we are indebted to the church for because they were the only people who thought that we should write that down <laughs> and right. and and preserve it and study it and so basically all the music we have before like the renaissance was because of the church and monastic communities that were writing it down so i came to appreciate the church a lot through my my study of music you know that's what makes this podcast series great folks is we always learn something brand new and that is something i had never heard you discuss before that's great the history of music comes through the path of the church correct that's, that's great yeah. that's wonderful okay well our special topic today is to talk about what is called the eucharistic revival uh, this is a project that 
uh, began with an initiative of the U.S. Catholic bishops. So, Karen, you're leading that process for us in the Archdiocese. So what do we mean by and what is the Eucharistic Revival? Okay, well, that word revival, um, at least to me, it's it stands out as something um, very emotional and yeah. very. Uh, it, it almost sounds Protestant in its uh, leanings, right? It's it's about uh, the fire and the spirit, and so it's not a word I think that we would associate with anything else that you know we've done. But the whole point is to light a fire. Um, and you ask the question, you know, why are we doing this now? Why are the bishops wanting a Eucharistic revival? Uh, something I think it's important for people to know is that this is at least a little bit data-driven. So um, there was a, a fairly famous Pew study that came out, uh, I think, in 2019. And it had some some data in it that was concerning to the bishops. Um, something like a third of Catholics say that they both understand and believe assent to uh, the church's um, teachings on the Eucharist, that the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus among us. Um, you know, so two thirds either don't understand or understand and don't believe. And so that was very concerning. Um, some other things, two thirds of millennial Catholics say they only attend mass uh, once or twice a year, a few times a year. Um, half of the people who were raised Catholic no longer identify the, uh, as Catholic or they have temporarily or permanently left the church. And so in some ways it's a response to data, but in other ways this has been a long time coming. Sure. It is, is it to address those two? Is it supposed to get people to come back to church or is it supposed to teach us about Eucharist, or is it both? What's it supposed to do? What if we light this fire? What's going to happen? Right, uh, it's both of those things. So right. um, again, there is a, a, a data component to this to try to get more people to come back to mass more regularly, um, and we can talk about uh, those reasons, get into those reasons as well. But um, you know, there's really two focuses I think of the Eucharistic revival. One is catechetical, like you mentioned. So it's um, you know, understanding some of the key doctrines related to the Eucharist, but there's also an experiential element. Um, there's the element of, of reconnecting with Eucharistic devotions. Um, everyone has a different background, but if you're someone like me, I grew up in a, a very typical uh, suburban, uh, you know, Catholic parish in the 80s and 90s and went to Catholic schools. I had no exposure to Eucharistic devotions for my entire upbringing. Now, we could talk about whether that was good or bad, but I never experienced a Eucharistic procession, never experienced Eucharistic adoration. Um, these were things that kind of went through a period of latency. And again, I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's just been sort of the history of our church. Um, and I think falling back in love with some of those uh, traditional practices is is part of this, or at least exposing people to them again. So, for example, in the Archdiocese, we the last two years, we've done a Corpus Christi Eucharistic procession downtown, um, where we take the Eucharist at the end of Mass through the streets of the city, um, as a public witness. So things like that, uh, reconnecting with Eucharistic devotions and then the catechetical piece together are the sort of the two pillars of the Eucharistic revival. So is, is, is there a, so the revival is not an event. What, what will be going on here in the Archdiocese? Yes. Yes. So there are, it is not one event. Um, the idea the Bishop's idea is that this is a three-year process. Okay. So they have broken this down. So we just, uh, entered into this Corpus Christi of two, 2022. The first year is supposed to be, quote, diocesan year, where we will be modeling some of the things that we want parishes to do. So year two is then parish year. And then the third year is a national year, and that's going to culminate 
in what's called a Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis in 2024, in July of 2024, which will be a big event. And we're kind of lucky being located here in Louisville. We should be able to take a good amount of people on buses and stuff to experience uh, something like that, where uh, people who've been to big, you know, big, uh, I think the youth conference or whatever have done like gigantic Eucharistic adorations and, and those kinds of things uh, we'll expect to see there. So it's a three-year process, but um, it's not just a series of events. Um, I've been telling people as I've been promoting this throughout the diocese that this is not a one-time thing. This is a, a permanent um, refocus of our energy on the Eucharist. So, you know, we'll be doing some things. Like I said, we, we had the, the Corpus Christi procession. We'll be dedicating a new Eucharistic chapel at the University of Louisville in October. Um, we will be doing some 40-hour devotions. So there will be some things, um, but more than things and events, uh, it is a, it's a vibe. It's a feel uh, that we expect. Um, we want to infuse, um, I, I mentioned modeling. So making sure that our Eucharistic liturgies are something that people want to come to. So it's one thing to say, hey, come back to church. It's another to actually uh, make church something that people want to come to, something you can't get at home, something you can't get on a live stream, uh, an experience of community that cannot be replicated in another way, um, sacraments which cannot be experienced in any other way. So how are we making our, our Eucharistic liturgies um, excellent and beautiful and uh, revelatory, things that lead us to God, things that point us to God? So trying to model all of that is kind of my focus for this diocesan year. When... Um you know, this is just a few months into the first of the three years, so I'll Correct. give that to you. But help us, what have you heard already from people? Are they interested, curious, excited, cautious? What are you hearing about it? Uh, I, I find that most people don't really know what is meant by the Eucharistic revival. Okay. And to be honest with you, I'm on the national working group as well. Okay. And that it, we kind of don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that that's kind of the first question is, Okay, Eucharistic revival, that sounds great. We know we need it. We know we need to refocus our energies as a church on the Eucharist as the center of our lives. Um, okay, great. Now what? How, how to physically enact that revival? Is it events? Is it um, talking about uh, things more? You know, I, we did a, a video series, which uh, we can point people to, um, we're going to have a landing page. Gary and I are working on a landing page for resources for the Eucharistic revival. And we did a video where I interviewed some people and asked them what the Eucharist meant to them. And I think a lot of people were surprised by that question, or they had never thought about it, or they had never been asked to articulate that before. Okay. Um, because we, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges I think we face as Catholics in the modern world is just the the overwhelming secularism of society in general. It used to be that you would grow up and you would go to church and that was a normal thing to do. Uh, I think now it's more of an intentional choice, right? To be Catholic is, is an intentional choice. It's not just a go along kind of thing. And so when we think about what the Eucharist means to us, we may never have been asked to articulate that. So a lot of people don't really know. They know it's important to them, but they can't really articulate why. And so I think part of the process of the revival is to help people get back in touch with their faith if, they've, if they are not fully in touch with it, but also to help them articulate what their faith means to them in a more meaningful way. 
This is a, a, a really important topic. We, there's so many things you shared there that I could just open up for the conversation right. about. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier um, about the research that was done about what people believed uh, about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, can you unpack that a little bit more for us? When people say, when the church says real presence, um, to help us name that a little bit more if you can. Sure. Um, so we could do uh, probably a five-year degree on this. Okay. <laughs> Just, you know. So, but to give you, you know, the 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 uh, quick and dirty version, you know, we believe as Catholics that um, when Jesus said, "I am the bread of life," over and over again, that he meant that uh, literally. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. And we as Catholics um, believe that that is real, and we use that word "real," real presence. Um, we live in a hyper-rational world um, where science and inquiry and, uh, you know, we believe that that's a su- supreme level of truth that excludes all others. And this is not new. You know, the ancients understood metaphysics and St. Augustine knew that the chemical properties of bread remained bread after the consecration. Um, if we look at a host under a microscope, it will have the chemical properties of bread, uh, the same cellular structure. It will look and taste like bread. But this is not the only reality, right? Um, because while the physical properties are the same, what it is changes. So whenever I try to explain this, um, if I'm with a group of adults, I use the, the analogy of a, a wedding. Or if I'm with a, a younger group, I might use graduation. So if you think of a, a woman the day before she gets married, her hair is a particular color, she's this tall, you know, her eyes are this color, after the wedding. She's still that tall. Her hair is still the same color. You know, she's, she looks the same, but she is now a wife, right? So she is something that she wasn't before, right? Even though the physical properties are the same. So if you look at a graduation, right, you walk across the stage, you still look the same. Uh, you still smell the same, you, you know, all of that, but, um, but you are something now that you weren't before. And so that is uh, what we believe happens in the Mass when the priest consecrates the bread and wine. Uh, we use the word mystery sometimes to describe that. Sometimes people use the word mystery wrong. They use it like it's a magical word that, okay, I don't have to explain it now because I said it's a mystery. Um, but all mystery really means is that it's not reducible to just what we see in front of us, that there's more to it than that. That's, that, that is great analogies. Those are really helpful, uh, and I'm sure our, our listeners will appreciate that. So, uh, real presence, revival, uh, lots of good words here. Uh, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's spend a few minutes on our, on our conversation about uh, life in the world of Eucharist in our church um, beyond the revival, because the revival could take us a few more hours of conversation, and the real presence, as you said, a five-year degree. So, uh, as director of the Office of Worship, uh, how would you help us understand what what Catholics in the Archdiocese of Louisville experience in the Eucharist and what they think about? It? You know, we have 110 churches, and one in one way, Mass in all the parishes is the same, and we all know Mass in all the parishes is different. So, can you help help us understand what you? in your role of, of resourcing churches and resourcing ministers and resourcing our priests and deacons. Um, talk about what you see going on in Eucharist and liturgy in our diocese. Yeah, I, you know, one of the wonderful things about the, the position that I have 
being able to work with 110 parishes, as you mentioned, is the diversity that that we see. And I talk a lot about beauty, and I talk a lot about excellence, and those are understandably relative, right? People see beauty in different things. This is why, you know, um, this is why people have different tastes. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where you know it when you see it. And, um, you know, the experience of beauty and excellence and beauty and excellence specifically that points us to God in the liturgy is something that, um, that it's hard to explain. It is hard to explain, but uh, I think with the Eucharistic revival, we're, we're trying to, um, foreground that. So, um, you know, one approach to Eucharistic theology is you got to learn it harder. You got to explain it harder. If we just understood it better, you know, we would be better Catholics. There's another approach here, which says that the experience comes first. Um, so when I'm working with parishes, you know, I'm not saying that there's one way of doing excellent liturgy. You know, there are s- certainly some things to do and some things not to do. Uh, we all understand that. But uh, the idea that there is a human element to this, that um, each of us has our own expression, our own gifts um, to give to the church, I think is it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And when we come together, we, tr- you know, for diocesan liturgies, we try to embrace all of that. And it's, so, a, it's a challenge. So it's a two prong thing. It's uh, uh, Eucharist. We come to understand it because we know more and we experience more. Right. Is that right? Good. Yeah. Good. That's really helpful. Um, I, I know you start, you started talking before about the videos and, and stuff like that. Um, what, what are you hearing when people are, get a chance to express their understanding of Eucharist. What are you hearing from people? Is this, is, is this something that they um, are, are moved by personally? Are they uh, um, inspired by? I, I'm, I'm, I just showed my hope in there. I want people to be inspired <laughs> by the Eucharist. But what are you discovering? Yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote an article a while back um, in the record about worship and how people are just made to worship. And if we don't, um, if we don't worship God, we're going to find something else to worship. And so, you know, I think that um, it's not that we don't know how to worship. I, I think we all do. You know, we're coming up on uh, football season here, and um, just think of the ritual that we go through to attend a college football game. You know. We tailgate before. There are particular foods that we eat. There are particular drinks that we drink. There are colors to wear. You know, there's a time. There's a sacred venue. Um, the venue matters. You know, is it a home game? Is it an away game? Like, that matters. Um, there are songs. There's the national anthem, and there's the fight song. And we teach our children from a young age to support the right team. So, you know, when we think of humans uh, being ritual people, you know, these are not just leisure activities. These are real cultural rituals that we have in our lives. And so to make the Eucharist one of those rituals that we have in our life, it's important. The other thing I'll say on that point is that, uh, you know, I've mentioned modern society is, is a real challenge. And one of the things that's a challenge with the Eucharist is the segmentation of our lives. So, you know, from nine to five, Monday through Friday, I am a teacher or I'm a CPA or I'm a nurse or I'm a barista. And then in the evening, I'm a mom, I'm a friend. On Saturday, I'm a golfer. On Sunday, I'm a Catholic. And and the Eucharistic revival says, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're a Catholic barista. You are a Catholic golfer. You are a Catholic everything. 
So it's this idea of integrating our lives. So the Eucharist, the church uses the word source and summit, that it's the high point, right? So Sunday, yes, it's important uh, to come to church and, and make that your high point. But the idea is that our whole lives are infused uh, every moment of our life is lifted up to God. That's a very different way of thinking about life than yes. I, I think a lot of Catholics think about their faith life as being something I do to check the box, and then I move on, and I'm something else for the next eight hours. I used to call it the filling station approach. Yes. I go and, and get my check-in for once Absolutely. a week, one, 60 minutes a week. That's all we're asking. And this is this is a really different call. You know, As you know, Pope Francis has recently released an apostolic letter on the Eucharist. Can, what, can you share, share a little bit about that in our time left? Yes. So you're referring to um, Desideravi, Desidero, Desideravi. It's hard to say. <laughs> um, his, his it's not a Latin test. It's yeah. okay. You can <laughs> Desiderio, Desideravi. That's it. Okay. All right. We nailed it. <laughs> um, yes. So his recent letter on the, on the liturgy, um, very interesting. I encourage people to read it. It's not a hard read. Um, the thing that I get the most out of Pope Francis's words there is uh, he talks about the importance of symbolic language and the language of ritual. And again, I, I'm, I'm beating this drum over and over again, but the idea that modern life makes that really hard for us to understand. The ability to uh, behold something and see that it's something beyond itself. Um, many people probably remember during COVID, uh, the Pope's Urbi at... Uh, or be blessing. So do people remember this when he, it was very rainy. This was like in uh, Holy Week 2020, right after the pandemic was really at its peak. He came out with a monstrance in the rain in St. Peter's Square and he blessed nobody, <laughs> right? Do, do you remember yes, this? Yes, <laughs> a yes. very, very moving, powerful image. If we were to look at that in a reductive way and say, okay, here's an old man um, in the rain, in the wind, you know, with a metal thing and a piece of bread in it, making some motions, nobody's there. You know, that would be a completely accurate description. But we know that there's something beyond that. There's something beyond just the, the physical, descriptive, um, reductive, um, what's happening there. We know that there was something profound happening there. Yeah. And the Pope says in this letter that, that we've lost that, the ability sometimes to see that. He talks about the gaze of St. Francis. So St. Francis looked at the sun and he said, that is beautiful and radiant and it bears the likeness of God. That we don't do that anymore. We don't look at the sun and wonder. We don't look at a flower and wonder. So the idea that we need to recapture that symbolic gaze, um, seeing the beauty and the the majesty in simple things, in the things of our faith, and to have those point us to a reality that's more than what they are. Uh, to me, that's the most important um, point that he makes in that yeah. document. So Eucharistic Revival and all the way to Pope Francis's uh, letter. So we're, we're to know more, experience more, and open ourselves up to, to, to appreciate that that need to gaze, as you just mm -hmm. said, you described that. Karen, this is really good stuff, really hopeful and really helpful for our people. I, I'm, I know that all of us are going to be uh, looking for ways to get engaged during the revival here locally and perhaps beyond. We thank you for what you do in the National Committee and National Task Force and leading our own local process here. Um, 
you said a moment ago the Eucharist is the source and summit. Yes, it is. But we need good leaders like you to help us come to understand that better. And that's the purpose of this show. And we're really glad. I wish we had an hour and a half more to spend with you. But that's our time for today. And I thank you very much for, for being with us. We'll have to have you come back. And folks, listeners, thank you for being with us and tuning in to this edition of What's New in Our Slew. Join us next month as we'll have another new opportunity to learn more about the people and events and happenings in the Archdiocese of Louisville.